I remember you, when I was a, a young guy coming up in church, 18, 19 years old, we had a whole group of people serving in the church, and, and there was a ladies' luncheon, and we were all volunteered. We had like 20 volunteers, all younger age, under 30, to help all the men to help do the dishes for a ladies' dinner. If you don't know, a ladies' dinner is a lot more dishes than a man's dinner. Man's dinner is paper plates, paper cups, and you just stack on the food. But a ladies' dinner is many plates, many different cups, you know, three forks, that type of thing, and uh, fancy. So no paper plates at a women's dinner. And so a bunch of us volunteered, and, and that night two of us showed up. And the rest didn't because one of them planned a birthday party on that night after they volunteered. If you've ever been involved with church people, you find out this kind of stuff is common. It's easy to get a volunteer, but to get people to show up and be faithful isn't so easy. And you think you have a hard time imagining God <laughs> trying to build a revival on, on us. You know, Can he get you to show up when you say you will? And uh, I remember two of us showed up, and, and his name was Paul. Paul was about 10 years older than I was, and, and we stayed there, and we had a, the dishes started coming in, you know, wave after wave, and we were washing dishes all night. And, and our model that night was, today the dishes, tomorrow the world, you know. <laughs> and true to form, Paul's still pastor, and he's got, I think, 15 churches under him. And been to Africa. He ran a Bible college in Africa. And, you know, there's something about establishing the traits of family in your spiritual walk. In fact, maybe we'll just preach on that today. There's something important about establishing those traits. I had uh, some people, when they come to God, they disconnect themselves from what God wants to do. And it's convenient to say, well, God's going to do something. God's going to do something in the future. There's nothing God cannot do in your life in your future. There's nothing impossible. Gary shared last week about the mustard seed faith, the week before, I guess it was, and about believing in the faith that comes from a mustard seed. You know, I remember when I was believing for something, I complain, God, I don't have any faith. I, nothing's changing. I don't even have mustard seed faith. I'm that horrible of a believer. I'm the lowest of the sons. I can't even produce mustard seed faith to make anything change. And that's when we learned, or I learned about how that's not implying that if you don't have, things aren't changing, you don't have faith. That's implying that how faith works is you take a seed and you plant it, and you let it grow. And from that growth, it will overcome and overtake anything that's in the way, even the ability to move mountains. So never say you don't have faith because things aren't changing. Understand that faith starts where you're at, and the pathway is to bring change into the future. So anything you are believing God for, maybe you're calling your family is going to not just appear in the future, it's going to start right now in seed form. Let me add to that. Anything you're believing God for. How many have something you're believing God for? Maybe it's finances, physical healing, better home life, maybe salvation of your loved ones, maybe your calling to be used of God in the way that God has prophesied to you. We all are believing for something to happen and change. But we have to be careful is to say, I'm throwing that out there, God. This needs to change. And then we wait. And in our worship, in our activities, it's about, come. it can become where you try to offer God things so that he'll take care of your problem. But the way that God takes care of your problem is not by him just fixing it and you being someone on the outside applauding and thanking God for it. The way that God fixes your problem is he comes into your life where you're at and walks you to the place where you will be able to receive something that he's already given to you. 
little girl, when I was a youth pastor, came up to the prayer line. Pastor Allen, I need help. What is it? Well, I'm in love with the wrong boy. He doesn't come to church. He, he doesn't serve God. And I'm in love with him. And I prayed yesterday, God, if you don't want me to love this boy, then take the love away from me. And the morning I woke up and I still love him. So I don't know what to do. And see, this is how many people want to have their walk of faith with God. Is I'm going to live my life. I mean, it's, it is religion, even though it doesn't look like there's no robes in it. But it's as religious as robes and everything else. Where we want to disconnect from what we're going through and give the problem to God. That doesn't mean we go fix it in the natural. It means that we accept that in God fixing our problems or answering our prayers, He's going to come to us and tell us to grow up, to mature, to overcome. Remember when I first met Pastor Dave and and he came to our church in Tennessee and in the first service there was a small crowd and, and he said, Now, who here has a deaf ear? Do I hear a deaf ear? And then he laughed at his own joke. <laughs> Hold your hand up if you have a deaf ear. No one put their hand up. And I had been six months previous experienced so many preachers who missed it already that I just, well, you just missed it. You know, after five minutes of trying to call out a deaf ear, no one put their hand up. It's a small crowd, so we're all looking at each other, and we know most of each other, and we think, well, there's no deaf ear here. You must have missed it. It's okay, we forgive you. Just move on, preacher. That's, you know, it's sad, isn't it, that you get so used to people missing it that you just attribute it to being okay? Or in the Old Testament, they'd stone you. <laughs> and, uh, and he kept going for about 20 minutes. He wouldn't let go of it. We're getting embarrassed for him at that time. Like, you missed it. It's okay. You know, we forgive you. You don't have to prove anything to us. You're preaching good, though, so keep it up. And after about 20 minutes, the lady that he was standing in front of, I mean, he described everything. Like, it's your, I think, your right ear. It, it happened to you as a child, and it was an affection, and God wants to heal you. And, and we're looking around, and no, no. And, and eventually the lady said, oh, it's me. I thought and she had some reason for not putting her hand up, and we wanted to stone her ourselves. Like... Lady, if you got a deaf ear, stick your hand up, you know. And God healed her. And, and what impressed me more than the healing was how a man could know that he heard God so much that he was willing to stand there for 20 minutes and forget about what everyone thought, forget about even what he was preaching and not let go of something because he, he knew that he heard God. And I said, God, I want to hear God. I want to hear you that way. And that inspired me on to, to pray and seek God. During that season, I started to pray, and they started to call me the hermit because I would I quit going out for dinner all the time and hanging out with friends because I wanted to spend more time with God. And they called me the hermit because, you know, let's we're going out to eat. Let's go fellowship. It was all good stuff. No, no, I'm just going to go go home after church. I want to go. And I didn't push it like I'm going to go pray or seek God you fleshly creature you I just said no I need to go. I'm not I'm not going out and they began to stop asking me after a while they called me the hermit and it was during that season that the Lord came to me and during one of those days I was worshiping God in my room he came and sat down beside me on my bed it felt like that and I heard him say I need you to choose today are you going to be a normal Christian or are you going to pursue the high call and before I could shoot out of my mouth the high call, of course, he showed me what the high call was. And, and what he showed me was not what I thought it was. I thought the high call was big ministry, traveling the world, changing the world, being recognized. And, and then he showed me the high call was a life of prayer and fasting and mortification. And I remember saying to the Lord that day, I said, God, I want to choose the high call, but there's nothing in me that really wants that. 
Who wants that kind of life of laying down your life that much? And I said, but if you help me, then today I choose the high call. And then he, he left. That's all he needed to hear. And I won't say that I ever regretted that. But that was me giving him permission to take me down that road. You, I'm sure, have been in similar conversations with God. And I say all that because the walk that we are on is not one that you can go into the Old Testament and find that theology from the Old Testament. Much of the church doctrine today is built on a relationship of God with the Old Testament in mind. The way that unsaved men walked with God. One example is, Choose ye this day blessing and cursing, life and death. That has brought a whole theology into the New Covenant, into the New Testament, into Christians today that says, If you serve God, you will be blessed abundantly. And if you go through a hardship, it's because you must have chosen cursing. Because if you follow God, everything will be great and wonderful, successful in abundance. But if you choose sin, then you will be cursed and broken and broke and in struggle. These are some of the questions that popped out of my heart when I begin to go through battles and struggles. Or even have unanswered prayer when I begin to accuse my own self with failing God because I was going through struggles or not in the fullness of what God has spoken to me in my life. And that is something you should be free from, is accusing yourself of failure when you're on the path of success. Because sometimes the reason everything's going horribly wrong is not because you're doing something wrong or did something wrong. It's because you're doing everything right sometimes. And you have an enemy that comes to stop you. This is the same accusations that the, the Judaizers accuse Paul of. They came into Paul's church, the Corinthian church, and began to accuse Paul to the people that Paul was failing God and cursed and accursed because look at all this trouble he's going through. He's got no money. He's, got, he's so broke that he has to work a secular job. And he's your apostle? That's a man who's cursed of God. God's not blessing him. And they went on to say, look at all the hardships he's going through. Look, he, even his face is broken. It's crooked. Look at him. him. He's been beat up and broken, stoned. It's because he's walked out of the hand of God. I remember Pastor Dave talking about, you know, here you are going to my church and you're driving your car and it's, you know, the engine lights on and, and all, the fun, all the funny things he would say. And you drive by a church and they got new cars and everything's fancy and you're wondering how you're missing it. He would talk about how you're not missing it. You're walking with God. So a lot of the Old Testament views of God, a relationship built around unsaved carnal man walking with God have been crept into the church so much that we have whole philosophies and doctrine in our culture that we don't realize is in our culture. And one of that is the ability to disconnect ourselves from answered prayer. Where the first thing that God does when you begin to ask Him for help in any area is he comes to you to show you how you need to grow up and mature and change. Well, many of us don't like that. You know, every time, every time I prayed to God for finances, he told me to get a job. Every time I asked God for abundance, he told me to get on a budget. Like, no, that's not what I came to you for, God. I came to you for you to fix it. 
I didn't come to you to come tell me how to grow up so I can believe it and receive it. Every married couple comes to counseling. And I like to separate the two. I bring, they come together, but then I pick on both of them. Because most of the time when people come for prayer for their unsaved loved ones, for their children, for advice on how to work on the marriage, most of the time their fingers pointing at the failure of the other person. But I like to be like God and take that finger. And as they say, if you're pointing your finger at someone, be careful because you you have three fingers pointing back at you. If you want to fix your marriage, you are the problem, not the person you're blaming. Because you can't fix other people. But you can change the way you act. If you believe in God for the salvation of your children, then possibly God's going to ask you to change ask you to grow up, to walk in more love. Instead of just saying, oh yeah, God, fix my kids. Yeah, well, I need you to forgive them. I need you to, well, they don't deserve that. They deserve a beating. They deserve a this and that. And God says, well, that won't fix the problem. My neighbor is a, needs help, God. Well, go build, make him a cake and take it over and tell him you love him. No, 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 I'm not talking about the nice neighbor. I'm talking about the other neighbor, God. We talk a lot about how, you know, we'll get prayer requests for, from mom saying, please, will you pray for my son? He's about to go to jail, and I want you to pray that he doesn't go to jail. Will you please agree with me that my son, the judge, will have mercy and not make him go to jail? And that's a mama talking. And you're a bold preacher when you say, no, I can't agree to that. Why? Well, because God may want him in jail. (gasps) What? Well, ma'am, my dad, my stepdad, I had to send him to jail when I was 13. And do you know that in prison is where he found Jesus? In prison, walking in the doors when he said, I'll never drink another drop of alcohol. It was in prison that he asked Jesus in his heart. It was in prison that he was in the bathroom. And he said they don't have doors in the stalls in the bathroom. And he was sitting on the throne in the bathroom. And he said, God, teach me to pray. And his tongue swelled up and he began to pray in tongues. It was in prison that he tried to stop it. And he got louder and louder and kept looking out the stall, hoping no one was going to walk in. It was in prison that my dad experienced Christ, that maybe God may take advantage of this moment to see your son go to prison if that's what's best for him for his future. When we pray for our calling and our future ministry, I want you to know that the pathway to your calling, to your future ministry, is not thrown out into the future and it's going to just hop on you one day, magically. Boom. It's going to start today. It's going to start with what are you doing today to be faithful with what God has given to you? What are you doing with your time, with your life today to be faithful? Because if you're not faithful today in the little things... You won't be faithful in the big things. Oh, yes, I will. Uh, No, you won't. No, no, I will. I will. Because it'll matter. That's when it'll be important. When I'm raising the dead and we're seeing the miracles. And as Gary said, the field out back is lined up with people trying to get in and pray. That's when God's going to use me. I remember one time we had a, a beautiful person who we love went on to the Lord and and I had the 8.30 service, and I kind of shared my heart about this person. And, and it ended up being kind of a, a sneaky memorial, not on purpose. And people came to the 10.30, or the 10 o'clock service, were offended at me that, how dare you have a memorial for the person we love and didn't tell us? I was like, well, first of all, I didn't know I was going to do that. But secondly, why weren't you here at the 8.30? It's not my problem. You want to skip church and then be handed a schedule for all the good stuff will come when you're here. But what makes you think you're going to be 
used of God in revival. Let me just get down to the nitty-gritty. What makes you think that you will be used of God in the great revival we're believing for? Casting out devils, healing the sick, abundance of finances. If you're not faithful today in the little things, when no one sees you. What makes you think God's not going to just oh skip over you? And say, well, i got someone else I'm going to use for that. No, no, I'm part of the prayer center. Yeah, and we appreciate every one of us that are standing and believing. And if you think I'm preaching to you, I'm probably not, so don't get offended. I'm preaching to the guy next to you or the person in your chair, but not, not to you. The way that you know if a person is going to be faithful in the big things is if they're faithful in the little things. And if they're not faithful in the little things, that's a sign that they won't be faithful in the big things. See, when you deal with young people, there's a young person gospel, and then there's an old person gospel. Young person gospel says, you know, if you have faith, you won't have any gray hair or any creaks or any aches or any pains or any finances problem. Look at me. I'm blessed. I'm healthy. My joints work. Everything moves loose. I'm prosperous. I have no needs. Yeah, but son, you're living on your mama's couch. You need $12 a month to survive. Of course, you're blessed. Go get married and find out what expenses really are. I remember when Christy and I got married, we did a budget, and we started off with the rent, the utilities, and we got down to haircuts. And my haircut was 15 bucks a month, and that was it. And she told me the price of her haircut and color, and I was shocked. <laughs> like, what? Can't you just go get like a box of color from someplace? And, you know, I see them advertise all the time. And I remember talking to Miss Ronnie. Miss Ronnie Birch was a, she's an old German, older German lady, always beautiful, always dressed amazing. And she ran the intercessory group for Norval Hayes Ministry for many, many years. And we all honored and respected her. And she had no problem telling you what's what. And we were good friends. She loved me. And I remember telling her one time, yeah, it's before I was, me and Christy were dating. And I said, yeah, you know, I'm just believing God for a, a woman that's not, um, what's the word, uh, uh, high maintenance. <laughs> and she looked at me. You felt it like I just said something really stupid to the wrong person. She goes, what do you mean by high maintenance? And, and that's when she gave me a lesson about life. Like, if you want a woman that looks good, it's going to cost you a little bit. So a young man's gospel is without reality. We get the young man come to the prayer center and they say, I'm going to pray and seek God. And I love God so much, I'm not going to work a job. And I'm not going to be available. I'm just going to pray. And you try to instruct them, like, you know, that works good when you're young. But when you get older, it doesn't work like that. The one young guy said to me, I'm going to get married. I want to pay for the the wedding in full. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to cut back on my prayer time at the church. Because at the time we were praying from 530 in the morning till noon. And then they go work. And he said, "I'm I'm going to cut back on my prayer time so I can work extra hours. And then pay off the wedding day so it's all paid for, so I don't go in debt. And then I want to get back to my prayer time. What do you think about that? I said, well, you're going to run into a problem. That'll work until you get your wedding. And then you're going to realize you've got to also pay for your honeymoon. So you'll work a little more. And then right when you're about ready, got that paid off, and you're about ready to come back into prayer a life focused on prayer. You guys are going to want a, a bigger apartment. And then right when you get that paid off, you're going to have a little meeting with your wife and she's going to tell you she's pregnant. 
So when you get that baby paid off and the baby's born, you're going to find out you got diapers and you got all these other things. And then right when you're ready to come back to prayer, you're going to find out she's pregnant again. And then you're going to need a bigger place, a bigger car. You've got to change the little tiny car for a minivan. And then right when everything's starting to get settled and you're ready to come back into focusing on prayer, you're going to find out that uh, your kid needs money to play football. And then you're going to find out that they need money for other things. And then after everything's done, you're going to move into a house and you're going to get that paid for. And then you're going to wake up and you'll be 60 years old and you'll look back and say, you know, one day I believed I was called. And I said, the way that you walk with God is you make your life revolve around serving God. You don't change your walk with God to make life work because that's how you go and miss all those years of growing while you, life takes it away and steals away your calling. I had men, young men, when I ran the Bible college, and they had to pay rent, they had to pay for the Bible college, and they had to work. And a couple of them came early on when I just started and said, and these were good, solid young guys. Pastor Allen, I'm going to, um, I'm just overwhelmed with my debt. I'm overwhelmed with my bills. And I really just want to um, be able to focus on God. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to step down from Bible college. And I'm going to take this semester and work extra hard to get caught up in my debt. And then I'll come back and I'll be free to really follow God and focus on God. And I agreed at that time, like, that's a good idea, smart. Until years later, when they never came back, I discovered that's not a good idea. See, when God grabbed you or you grabbed hold of God, whatever, whatever it was in your life, maybe it was a failure, maybe it was a colossal failure so bad that you finally said, God, I need help. Maybe it was hunger or zeal or passion Whatever it was that got you to grab hold of God and say, my life belongs to you. Whatever situation you were in when you started that. Maybe you got hungry for God, but your spouse did not. Maybe every day you're pressing into God and your spouse is waiting for you to, to get tired of it. They're waiting for you to give up on that passion. So then you can come live for them. There's many people who get married, you watch them. You can see it happening in young people when one of the couples come into a marriage and they capture the other person. The other person's life, their time, their existence, their output is focused on the other person. Your job is to make me happy. Your job is to make me successful and me to have things That's how many marriages work in the world. But when you follow God, you're not allowed that luxury. I'm sorry, spouse. My life's not about you anymore. My life's about serving God. Doesn't mean you are irresponsible. It just means that the focus of my life is about what God wants, not about keeping my spouse, my mom and dad, even my children, even my own self, happy. Am I preaching okay? So when you hit those battles and those struggles, and you begin to pray, God, the first thing that happens, God, my spouse, doesn't even come to church. My spouse doesn't like me giving to the church. I remember one lady came one time when I was in Canada doing a conference, and she came up and said, my husband... He doesn't let me give to the church. I want so much just to give even a tithe, she said. But my husband won't let me. What do I do? And I said, well, you don't want to override your husband. You want to pray. I said, he lets you come to church, yeah. Is this your church? Yeah. Well, rather than having to give money, why don't you give your time? Why don't you go ask the pastor if there's anything you can do this week in replacement of giving finances that you can give your time? Because sometimes we even hide behind finances. You know, rather than going out and picking up a poor person and taking them out to dinner in your house 
cooking food for them and smelling them and helping them as they as you feed them it's easier just to give a hundred bucks to the feeding the homeless than you're going to get your hands dirty whereas when you follow god and serve god the first thing he does is come and tell you what to do but god i'm praying for my unsaved spouse who's resisting you who doesn't want me to come to church doesn't want me to serve god and i'm praying for you to save them to fix them and god says yeah you need to take her out special this week whoa 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 whoa, whoa. i i am not the problem So that little lady, she took that week and went to the pastor, and he allowed her to, I think she cleaned up a little bit after every service. That was on like a Monday and a Tuesday. By Sunday, her husband was in church, got healed, got saved, and baptized in the Holy Ghost. See, faith is not just throwing things out there. Faith is being faithful with what's in front of you while you trust God with the future. But if you're not faithful with what's in front of you, that shows you that you're not trusting God. You're trying to dump it on God. God, it's your problem. I'm not available to change. I talk to a lot of pastors, and, and I talk about the pastors who I don't necessarily respect, but I appreciate. And they're the ones who teach you how to how to not press into God, but how to show up in church on Sunday. That's a typical church overall in America, is you come to church on Sunday and I'll give you a dose of purpose and an experience that will encourage you. But you leave that day and nothing really changed. And so by the next Sunday, you're needing to feel purposeful and encouraged to keep going. So you go to church and they make you addicted to the pastor addicted to the church instead of addicted to God. And they do that every Sunday for the rest of your life. And I blame the pastors, but I also blame the people because there's people who, that's what they want. Pastor Dave always told me that. If you give the people what they want, they'll treat you really good. If you tell them what they want to hear, they'll reward you. But God won't reward you if you don't tell them what he wants them to hear. You have you. Doesn't matter where you are in your walk with God. You have a calling on your life. You have a place in the gospel that is as important as any other place. As important as the man speaking up here. As important as uh, Dave Roberson. As important as Billy Graham. As important as Paul the Apostle. You have a calling the moment you're born again. You have a place in the body of Christ. Jesus is the head of this body. No man is. And you have a place, a part of that body. So it is as important for you to grow in God and mature in the things of God as it is for anyone else. I remember I was in uh, California preaching and I was getting ready and there was a hallway between the bedroom and the bathroom of the suite I was in. And I was walking down the hallway, and all of a sudden I saw an image of my daughter, and just my little daughter standing there, a toddler. And the Lord asked me a question. He said, could you exchange her for another girl? I said, not on your life, no way. And the Lord said, well, neither could I exchange you. Because up to that moment, I'd always believed, if you're not faithful with your talent in your gifts, then God will find another person and replace you. And God, in that one moment, erased all that wrong thinking. That no, he can't exchange me or go on without me. That I will be missed if I don't walk to the place in God that he has for me. You have a place in the body that's just as important as anyone else's. But it's not going to happen unless you walk with God and grow up with God. And I know I'm preaching to the choir. Like I said, I'm not preaching to you. The person next to you. No one in this room, you watching by camera right now, need to hear this message. Everyone in this room, you guys got it together.
when you pray for the future, God always comes and deals with you today. And that's where many spiritual believers play the, oh, what's it called, the, the bait and switch, I call it. It's like my kids when you tell them to go do something. Go clean your room. And they come back and they said, I went and, and uh, I fed the dogs. I, I did, they did something else rather than what you told them to do. Trying to do the bait and switch. I don't want to do what you're telling me to do, but I'll do this other thing. And we try that with God sometimes. Religion does in us. What he tells you to deal with because he knows how to get you to grow up. And the reason why he has to tell you is because you've been avoiding it. Little things, like I remember I'd walk in the room in, in church and these Bible college students who want to be preachers. That's their call. They want to be preachers. And they're dressed like hoodlums in church with gym shorts or T-shirts. That's fine, but you came to Bible college to be a preacher. Dress up. Dress appropriately. Oh, no. But pastor, that, you don't understand. God looks on the inside, where man looks on the outside. Yeah, you're right. But see, the way you're dressed today, if God told me, have this young man come up and prophesy, I wouldn't do it. Because the people, when the scripture says that God looks on the inside, he's not, he's not rebuking man, he's making a statement. That man looks on the outside, meaning... If you don't dress appropriately, man will not respect you enough to hear what you have to say. They're saying that, yes, man looks on the outside, so dress appropriately so the man will hear what you have to say. God looks on the inside, so you can't just look the part. You also have to be the part and grow up. Young man will come and say, yeah, I'm coming to church. Okay, we'll see you there. And then they don't show up until 10 minutes late. Not just once. On a regular basis. It's amazing if you give the flesh a little bit. It takes a lot and everyone's looking down because they know what I'm about to say. And they say, well, it's okay. I'm just a few minutes late. I said, I thought you wanted to be a minister. I do. So what's going to happen one day when you're speaking? Ladies and gentlemen, we have an exciting day today. We have evangelist Alan Taylor here to preach. Alan, please come. And I'm not there. Because I'm a few minutes late. But I, I won't do it then. I'm preaching good today, I can tell. I won't do it then. I won't do it then. It's just, I have nothing to do in the church. Well, that's a problem right there. Why are you living a life in a church when no one expects anything from you? I had one young man, he's like, I don't like your preaching. You know, when people come to me, I don't do it to people who don't come to me, but when someone comes to me and says, I want your help, that's permission for me to speak into their life. I don't look around and hunt people down. Like, you, you. There's a lot of people I could help save 20 years of their life, but they didn't ask, so they, didn't, they don't get the help. And he said, I don't like what you're telling me. It's, you're not family. Don't you know we're supposed to be family? And you expect things from me? You want me to help? We're supposed to be family. And I said, buddy, you obviously have no idea what family is. I have a wife, and that woman, she expects things out of me. You know i got to pay her bills? Can you believe that? And i got kids, and they're always under my feet. They're always in my business. It never fails, and Sunday's the best because we get on to them every day about, you know, focusing. And, and you'll be sitting in church, and your phone will go off, vibrate, and you take a look at it, and both kids are looking at you. Get off your phone. It's like, <laughs> you shut your mouth, little kid. <laughs> you know? That family means that people are in your business. Family is, the definition of family is people are in your business. And this young man, I said, you want a family that doesn't have anything to do with you because you don't want to be accountable or expectations. If uh, Rachel is not in her chair, 
next Sunday, how many will know she's not in her chair? See, that tells you someone who's not afraid to be accountable. See, when one habit church folk have is they don't show up regular. They don't sit in the same area. And I, I'm okay with whatever you want. But I'm just telling you, that's a signal that you're trying to avoid anyone expecting anything of you. Because if they don't know when to expect you, no one's going to miss you. And if that's your life, okay. But understand, when you start to say you're part of revival, I'm believing for revival, I'm expecting revival, guess where God goes? Not to the future. He's got his job already taken care of. He goes to us and says, okay, if you want to be used at revival, then we need to work on a few things. Oh, no, 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 no. When I say revival, God, I'm not talking about integrity or faithfulness, accountability. I'm talking about signs and wonders, miracles, the dead being raised. Because it's easy, see, when you represent God, it's, we've lost the holiness of representing God. We've lost the fear of the accountability that comes when we represent God. When we, begin, we start throwing out prophecies and throwing out opinions, you know, when we have doctrines, and the good thing about the pulpit is anything I say, I'm accountable for. Because if I say something, God told me that prayer in tongues is not as important as we made it, then uh, I may not get out of the room without getting beat up by everyone. See, my messages are questioned and my philosophies and my doctrine are taken to account and accountable to Gary, to Tim, and to all of you. That's kind of what Gary was talking about today when we mentioned Pastor Dave so often. It's not to exalt a man. It's, it's what the man brought forward, the truth that came through him. And so it's accountability. So when there's people teaching behind the scenes messages that haven't been brought up from the pulpit, it means that they haven't been questioned and brought to light and accountable. And that's why they whisper in behind the scenes, like, no, this is what that really means. This is what that really means. You don't know because if he had said it up here, they'd have five preachers come and correct them and fix it. But because they do it behind the scenes, you don't know. Same as prophecies. Their prophecies are supposed to be judged by other prophets. So someone meets you in the parking lot with a special word then you can say, hold on, write that down so I can take it to some prophets so they can judge it. Well, that's the reason why they're giving it to you. I'm not talking about, anyways. <laughs> I'm trying to fix all the church woes in one service. When you believe for revival, if you're believing for us, then God's going to come to where you are right now and say, let's get things in order to prepare for revival. You can always tell when someone doesn't really believe it. They just talk it. Let me preach today. I am currently preparing to do a marathon in six months. You're all saying, okay, good. But I'm not exercising. I'm not jogging. And I'm eating whatever I want. But I believe... Then in six months, I'm going to finish a marathon of 20, was it 22 point, 26, good Lord, 26 point something miles. You would look at me and say, no, you're not. As, I, as we're having Sunday dinner, I'm eating chicken, like not skinless chicken, I'm talking like Kentucky Fried Chicken. going to take my nap. I'm not out in the morning exercising. You can tell the neighbor that's preparing for a marathon because they, they're practicing preparing to get ready for it. Are you really believing for revival would be the message of today. Do you really believe in revival? Yes, I do. Well, because I confess it every Sunday. What are you doing today to prepare for that? Because you know, if you're preparing for a revival, there's a few things 
that I think need to be in order if you're going to be a participant in revival. Just as a pastor, I would say you should be faithful to church because I don't want to have a bunch of people look up to you when you get to share a testimony and pray for people and then realize that you don't attend but once a month. Because then they'll start thinking it's okay for them not to attend once a month. And you might get away with it because you're strong. They might bring destruction to their life. Are you living holy? Are you pursuing holiness? I would say for my ministry, if someone drinks alcohol, they'll have no part of my ministry. I had one friend, a preacher, who would promote my messages on his Facebook page and his social media. And I always appreciate that. Like It's a pat on the back if someone believes in you. You should hear this message from Pastor Al. It was great. Here's another message from Pastor Alan. But then they were sipping saints, I call them. You know, saints that like to sip alcohol. And personally, if that's your personal walk, I have no beef with you. But they were the ones that wanted to prove they were liberated from religion. So they like to advertise they're drinking and they weren't like it wasn't beer it was always something exotic some fancy wine or something so every sunday or once a week they'd have a a picture of their dinner with a glass of wine and god is good you know enjoying my freedom my liberties and then the next post on their social media was advertising me so eventually i had to unfriend them disconnect from them I'd say professionally, and they got upset about it and said, why would you do that? I said, well, you understand, I come from a, an alcoholic family. I don't believe in drinking. I said, but there's many people who listen to me preach who need help getting free from alcohol. And if they see my message and the next to it is a picture of a glass of wine, it's going to send a mixed message that the very thing they're trying to get free from, I'm okay with poisoning them. Do you know how many marriages I know of who they went to a pastor who introduced them to the liberty to drink alcohol? And they brought alcohol into their home. The pastor still find that marriage of that couple is totally destroyed because alcohol was introduced into their house. How many couples who have drank alcohol did fine, but their kids ended up being destroyed. Your liberty should never be a position for someone else to fail. So you may be liberated from the accountability of showing up to church. And I know the prayer center, you know, there's a lot of places that they don't have church, so I'm not condemning people who don't have a good church. But if you're part of a family, there's expectations. I come into my house, and I'll walk in through the garage, and and my wife's like a little slave driver. Like I'll see kids doing laundry and dishes. Even my kids have chores. What chores? Oh. <laughs> what chores have you allowed in your life with your family of the person? Oh, no one's prophesied to me, picked me out, or come to ask me. Well, that might be because you are just far away. You remember when you had kids and you used to be able to, they get loud, you reach out and grab them. Hey, stop that. And then one day you reached out and you couldn't grab them because they had moved two inches further away. They learned the length of your arm that they knew how to be just far enough away. Your kids have this magical ability, starting when they're young, to get on your nerves so much that you're right to the place where you're about to get onto them, and then they stop right there. They know just how to keep you from getting onto them. Maybe you've trained everyone around you, don't reach out because you won't be able to get hold of me. Don't expect me in church on Sunday because I'm free. I come when I want. I come when the Lord tells me. I only do what the Lord tells me to do. That means no one can expect anything from you. There is a practicalness to revival. And it starts with you today. Are you faithful? Are you in the family? Are you allowing yourself to be expected of things? 
Maybe you say, well, I have nothing to offer. That's a lie. Look at me. That's a lie. Wait. <clears throat> Is the microphone on? <clears throat> hello, hello. I have nothing to offer. I can't preach. I can't sing. I try to prophesy, but I always mess it up. I have nothing to offer. That's a lie. That's a lie. And maybe you are enjoying that lie because that allows you not to be expected to do anything. Do you understand Rachel here on the front row? When I first came to the prayer center, I I didn't come preaching. I came to be a member of the prayer center. Remember when God sent us here, and the first Sunday I came in, and I told my wife, I said, well, you know, I don't know, I've preached here before, but we're members now, so we have to earn our stripes like everyone else. So we don't want to appear to be favorites at all. So we came in through the regular door and got our chair, and Bill came, Dave's son, grabbed me and said, my dad wants to talk to you. Okay. And my, my dad said to tell you, Alan, because I had a history with Pastor Dave from him preaching at Norville's, so my dad said to tell you that you're never to enter the church in any other door except through his office, or he's going to kick you in the butt. <laughs> well, I didn't like that because then all of a sudden everyone's going to think I'm, I'm kissing, kissing up. But I submitted to it. But we came and attended. I wasn't preaching. And all we did was be in our chair. For some reason, we picked that side. And after a month or two, people would come up to me and just say, I just want to tell you that you've really encouraged me. And I said, who are you? I didn't know their name. I didn't minister to them. I didn't preach to them. They they didn't hear me preach. They just saw me show up and sit in the same chair every Sunday. And they were encouraged by that. Rachel, you encourage people just by showing up. There's some people who are discouraged. They come in, they see you here. And when I talk about Rachel, I'm talking about everyone who comes and is faithful to attending. You are a strength to people you may not realize. I can point to every one of you and say something that you are blessing to me, to my family, to other people. And maybe it's not that anything about revival. Maybe it's not had nothing to do, you know, what are you talking about? How am I a blessing? I, don't, I, I haven't prayed, raised the dead, or, or haven't seen deaf ears healed. See, we want to be careful not to take the practicality and the accountability of today and put it off on some future revival. Because if we're believing, actually believing to be part of revival, it starts with what are we doing today to prepare for it. Maybe the reason God's telling you to quit drinking and telling you to fix your marriage and get your family and your house in order is so that he can trust to put baby sheep in your presence and you won't ruin them. Man, revival is so great. We've got thousands of people coming. Hey, you're new. Yeah, I, you know, I've been here 20 years. Really? You must know how to, how all about revival. Oh, you have no idea what I have to offer you. Why don't you, why don't you let me and my wife take you out for dinner? For lunch today, we can just share my wisdom into you, little baby sheep. Oh, wow, that's wonderful. Where are we going? Well, there's a great bar down the road, and we'll have a beer together. And see, you are now poisoning them with your dysfunction. And don't you know that God is a good shepherd? He's a good father. We have kids, and they're getting older. You talk about overnight stay. They're going to, you know, someone says... Ava says, can I spend the night at so-and-so friends? You should see Christy. She's like a little, I don't know what the word is, military sniper. Like, no. You're going to go spend some time at a friend's? Who's going to be there? Which men are going to be there? Which brothers are going to be there? What's the house like? What's the car like? Because we, we're careful who we let our kids around. We're careful. You think God's even less? Like, oh no, here, take my little baby child and go destroy them with your beliefs. If you're believing for revival, I'm turning this now to 
get away from picking on you guys. Well, let's go back to you. What of the family business are you allowing yourself today to be a part of? Family business means that there's expectations. See, in my family, if I don't come home at night, they will call the police because they expect me at home. My family, I'm expected to bring in enough income to afford my family. I'm a father. I'm expected of things. Kids are in your business. You're not part of the family if no one misses you. I don't like that church because no one one ever... Oh, help me, Jesus. When I first moved here, we had... Because I was a young man and had other young men around me, we'd have people come to me. I'm moving on next Saturday. Could you oversee the, the moving? I said, what? <laughs> well, can you rent, you know, and these are usually ladies. And, and, and I said, huh? No, I need help. You know, that's why you, you don't want to own a pickup truck when you go to a church. Because every time someone needs to move something, you get a phone call. And, and so they would say, well, you got all those young guys. Can they come help me move? I said, well, they're there. Go ask them. Like they wanted me to go ask them. And I said, so I, I started to say, well, who are you asking? Who have you asked yourself? And they said, well, I don't know anyone. How, and I said, how long have you been coming to the church? Well, 10 years. Well, the reason you don't know anyone because you have not stepped out to no one. You can't blame that on someone else. You have to take ownership of your life and let God lead you to grow up. When I was insecure, I remember the Lord telling me to face it, to overcome it. When I was intimidated by people, the Lord made me stand in front of people that I was uncomfortable with. Because his path for me to be comfortable in family wasn't to have me not face my fear and to surround me with people who would coddle me. His answer was for me to grow up and face my insecurities and my fears and overcome them. Which means you can't blame anyone else. can't blame your mom and dad. You can't blame your boss. You can't blame your spouse. You can't blame your children. You can't blame your pastor. You yourself are responsible before God for how much you are growing in Him. And if we really are believing for revival then that means you're willing to lay your life down. You're willing to be expected of things. When someone says, well, I'll do it when when we're praying for the sick. Of course I'll be there. Yeah, I'll be there on the front row. I'll be there faithfully because I'll have something to do. No, you won't. Yes, I will. It'll be God's business. Because if you're not faithful in little things, you let yourself learn how to serve God without being faithful in the little things. And let me tell you something about ministry. When you haven't participated in ministry, there's a lot of dangers you have to go through. Self-exaltation is a big one because people will look up to you as they're trying to give God thanks. You get a piece of that because God used you to deliver it. And that's a, something everyone has to overcome. But what you find out that, I'll use Johnny here as an example. He's a businessman, used to travel uh, quite a bit. How many states have you been in, Johnny, traveling for business? 20, 20 states. Now, when you went to another state for business, did you stay at a, a tent or in your car? You got a hotel room. And, and you probably flew to some of them and drove to some of them. So when you're, when you're young and you don't have any experience, that sounds exciting. You mean you get to travel to 20 states and fly? You get some upgrades, get to do some business class and stay in hotels? That must be so exciting. Well, every businessman, every preacher, every road dog, musician will say, well, at first it was exciting. But then after about 10 years of 1,000 hotel rooms... 25 years of hotel rooms and traveling and pretty soon the only exciting thing is coming home and being with your family. 
See, it gets old after a while. Do you know that revival, how do I say this, the work of revival? It's going to become labor. It's going to become labor when it starts to place a demand on your life. And so if you can't learn to be faithful when no one notices you, you won't be faithful when people do notice you. Because the same thing you don't like to do now, you won't like to do even if it's praying for the sick. If you're not faithful in little, you're training yourself to not be faithful in much. So I want to encourage you first, you are part of the family. You're an important part of the family. I think I know everyone in here, and I can tell you that I can sit down with you and tell you something that I appreciate about you personally. I can do that. That's how much you have influenced me. Even if we've never had dinner before, if I've never been to your house, I can right now tell you something I appreciate about you. You are part of the family. Be part of the family. What can you do now? What's in front of you right now that you can do? Now, if you don't live here in Tulsa, there's lots you can do as far as be faithful to listen to the messages, be faithful to grow, to pray and seek God, and to hear God and be involved. If we really are believing that we're on a path to revival, then it should look like that today. You should be praying, seeking God, faithful, available, accountable, strong in the Lord, and working towards holiness. There's a walk of holiness for God's workers that is more demanding than for God's followers. If you are a God worker, you want to be involved with the work of the ministry, you have to live holier than other people. God expects you more out of you. But God, they do it. Why can't I do it? Because he, you want to be a representative of God. If you want to just be a follower and attend church, the standards are less. Are you willing to lay down things that you really don't have to, to be used in the revival that's coming? Are you willing to lay that down? Are you willing to work harder on your marriage so that you have a home that... God can use as an example for other people who come to get their kid healed. They get saved. Now they need help on how to get their marriage fixed. Are you willing to pay that price now to do that work now to make those sacrifices now? So when the time comes, God will say, yeah, I need you to be an example. You don't need to be an example of the martyr. Oh, I'm a great example of a martyr. My, my spouse doesn't come to church. She hates God. He hates God. And uh, But I look at me, I'm faithful, I pray, and the devil's destroying my spouse. Well, maybe, maybe God's speaking to you to make some changes to help win them over, to bring them back. Being a martyr is not the sign of a mature Christian. I know that sometimes it happens. But the ones I really respect are the ones who are a martyr, but no one knows about it. They haven't used it as an advertisement to how spiritual I am. Look how spiritual I am. My family hates church. But I'm here. Well, maybe the reason they hate church is because you haven't done right. See, again, that finger, I'm trying to get the finger off of other people and realize when I pray, God always tells me what to do. When I pray for change, why does he always tell me what to do? When I pray for change in you, why does he tell me what to do? Isn't that what we're doing for revival? Listen to Gary's message this morning. We're believing for revival, miracles, like Jesus had. But yet, we don't have it yet. So, is it God's fault? Well, no, because God's waiting for us. So, there's the finger. Where where does the change have to happen for revival to come forth? The finger is pointing back at us. Where's the victory for my marriage, God? Fingers pointing back at you. Where's the victory for my children? Fingers pointing back at you. I had one man, young man, he said, I'm going to go on a long fast because I'm believing God for abundance of finances. And after the fast, God's going to give me the finances. And I had to tell him the truth. I said, well, I think what you're saying is that you want to 
sacrifice something to God for him to give you abundance of money so that when you pray, God doesn't come to you and say, get a job and say, be faithful with your finances. Because it's easier to give that problem to God and say, I'm just going to not change because I gave it to you. The first thing that happens when you pray is God begins to deal with you on how you can change. Kind of makes us not want to pray. That's why we pray in tongues. <laughs> Here I was praying in tongues, thinking I was getting a new car and a big house, and, and all he was was challenging me to grow up. So let's really believe for revival. Let's be faithful with what's in front of you. If there's anything in your life that you know God's been dealing with you, that's the little thing that you need to be faithful in. Be faithful in it. Because it is the same as if we have revival. The way you're faithful in the little things is how you will be faithful in the big things. God is watching you today on how you are allowing him to lead you. Let's close in prayer. Father, we're thankful that you even consider us as being available to be in revival or even today be a part of your kingdom. So we humble ourselves today and we say our life is in your hands. Every struggle, every battle, everything we face in our future, our finances, our marriages, our children, our ministries, everything is in your hands. And we thank you that you have the answer for all those things and that as you speak to us and deal with us, we will obey you and be faithful. You don't have to tell us to do something every month and then tell us again every month to do it. Tell us once and we'll be faithful to it. Our life is in your hands. And Father, I thank you for each one that's listening today that you do see them as your children. And you see, do see the value of their future. You do see how important they are in your family, in your calling. So, Father, I thank you for your grace upon us, your strength on us, to walk in all that you have for us. And whatever you speak to us, we know we can do because of your strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Well, we love you. I'm going to release you. Go have dinner and enjoy yourselves. If you like prayer, please come up to the green line and we'll pray for you before you go. God bless you.